Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 269 and this episode is with the performance director at Blackburn Rovers, Ben Rosen. Ben came on and we've discussed some of the focuses in his role during the season. We talked about maintaining football fitness and also maintaining fitness across the squad as well. We also uh, talked about testing so where he focuses his energy around testing, um, the tests they carry out, why they do them, and how, how it informs the program as well. And then we also touched on the re- return to play process, getting players ready to perform. Something that we talked about before on the podcast, not just getting ready, uh, getting players ready to play, but also to perform at the top level and to going back into a first team and what the difference is with that as well, and some of the considerations that Ben has to make within his role. I mentioned in the last episode we were going to have details of our next networking event, and I feel like we've not quite confirmed the speakers yet, but I can give you some information about the date. So on Thursday, the 25th of January, we are going to be heading to Blackburn Rovers, so to Ben's club, and we are going to be going to Ewood Park, so on the evening of the 25th, of January 2024. We're going to be heading to Ewood Park. So keep an eye out on the Football Fitness Federation socials, our our emails if you're on our email list that go out, and also the website because tickets will be available very soon for that one. It'd be great to see as many of the listeners at that event as possible. And the Northwest events always go really well and really well attended. Just before we get into the episode, a massive thank you to our sponsors, The Good Prep. The Good Prep is a meal prep delivery service that provides fresh, ready-to-eat, chef-cut meals straight to your door. They offer meal plans tailored to your personal goals, current activity level and schedule. The Good Prep works closely with elite-level athletes and corporates to develop meal solutions that meet the ever-changing demands of performance and training. Some of their clients include Brighton Hove Albion, the PGMOL, Commonwealth teams, Gymshark, and many more. Their meals are full of all the nutrients you need to keep you in peak performance. You can achieve every goal you set. Plus, you can reclaim your time, eat better, move more, and reduce food waste too. Their meal plans are designed to guide you through a journey to a healthier you. Take the guesswork out of healthy eating and discover the power of nutrition at thegoodprep.com. And make sure you use the code FFF15 for 15% off your first order. Also, a big thank you to Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Whether in the change room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home. Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. Check them out at hytro.com or email teamsales at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, Rezzle, doing some amazing work in the world of VR. Make sure you search Rezzle over on socials, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. And let's get into episode 269 with the Performance Director at Blackburn Rovers, Ben Rosen. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is two, episode 269. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Performance Director at Blackburn Rovers, Ben Rosen. How are we doing? Very good, thank you. Nice to be back. <laughs> it's, it certainly is, mate. It certainly yeah. is. This has been this one's been in the pipeline a long time. Been I've been chasing you down from numerous roles, numerous clubs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You know, you sort of, you get into certain places and 
maybe it's best not to talk too much. So now I'm in a place where I'm happy to talk, so I don't mind it. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing for a podcast because you, you'll be yeah. bringing some quality content. But um, Ben, let's talk about your career to start with, where you've been, the roles you've been in. Take us back, take us up to the role with, with Blackburn now. Yeah, so I mean, I, I started, my first internship was actually West Ham in 2009. So... I, I did a, I wrote to a load of clubs around. I was doing my sports science degree in Southampton at the summer off and, and just wrote to all the London clubs, see what I could get. And then uh, the 18th fitness coach at West Ham got back to me. I said, come over, I helped out for the pre-season um, and, and we'll just see where it goes from there. So I did that for six weeks and then it ended up actually ending really badly. So one on my, I think it was my last day there uh, before I went back to university. I'd agreed that I was going to come back do the 16s uh, two days a week to drive up. And on my way out of the training ground, I've reversed into the physio's car. So I've got out, taken a look. There's no, there's no damage or anything. So I've driven off to the main training ground when we're having lunch. And then the, uh, the kit man saw me do it, went and told the physio. And then suddenly I get this phone call from him saying, what are you doing? You've driven into my car. You this, you this, you this. And then I got a phone call that night from the, the 18 fitness coach basically telling me not to return oh, and wow. I would and you know at that point then I'm I'm devastated thinking my opportunity in football's gone I'm only in my second year at university or the end of my yeah. second year um and then that was it but sort of because of that ending it ends up being the story that kind of leads me to here now because then I end up getting an internship with Southampton Football Club when they're in when they're in League One club get promoted immediately while I'm an intern and then as they go into the championship it was the beginning of really clubs starting to use GPS. So then Stat Sports come over to Southampton, show the, all the equipment off. It was GP Sports back then. Um, and Southampton needed someone to, to manage this new system throughout the club for the first team, the 21s, the 18s. And I was just the perfect one to do it because I was prepared to work for very little money and work a lot of hours. Yeah. So that's how it really, that's how it really began. Um, year later, the club got promoted again, go to the Premier League, um, change of coach halfway through the year and Pochettino came in Southampton and the first team fitness coach went on to to Reading with Nigel Adkins so then at the age of 22 Pochettino said that he wanted me to be the first team fitness coach because I knew the boys and he trusted me and although in in a job title it was a great it was a great role to have really the responsibility that I had was do a couple of warm-ups and some upper body gym sessions yeah so although although it was a nice nice job title I wasn't really doing too much and then about six months later, I had the opportunity to go over to um, to Malmo in Sweden, just for a connection I had with a guy called John Phillips, who was working at QPR. Then he was at Krasnodar, I think he's at Red Bull now. Um, yeah. So he sort of set up a connection with me due to due to me knowing him. He was living down in Southampton at that time. Um, and then I I went over and, and sort of started what it is now at Malmo FF, where where you know they've they've got all these English people working there and. And they're starting to really build a department and, and they're doing things really, really well then now. Um, through that, met a load of people, spent four years with the Danish national team, uh, working alongside uh, my role at Malmo, um, which was amazing, um, which is also where I met uh, Jondal Thomason, who's now the head coach of Blackburn. Um, I had a great relationship with him. Myself and him were putting together all the training sessions and we're starting to really get to know each other and understand that the way that we both uh, viewed football training was, was very, very similar to one another. Um, and I, then he ended up actually coming to, to be the head coach at Malmo, which was his first head coach role in a long time. He'd, he'd been the head coach previously about six years earlier, um, but had only been assistant between then. Um, and only after him being there a couple of months, I got an opportunity to go to FC Copenhagen, which was in that moment a much better opportunity for me. I'd been in Malmo for a long time back then six or seven years and felt that I was probably becoming a little bit stale and everything I was doing was a little bit too much the same and things maybe felt a little bit too easy there uh, at that moment. So a few months into FC Copenhagen, manager gets sacked, performance director gets sacked, everyone around me is, uh, is, is getting moved on and kind of knew that that was, that I was going to be the, uh, the next one to go at some point, managed to stay there two seasons and then, and then uh, moved over to Blackburn now with Yondal Thomason. Um, at the start of last season, so it's been it's been a it's been a nice journey to get here. But this kind of feels like now 
the kind of next step is where I'm going is is working with the head coach and really trying to trying to lead a department in the way that that he wants it to work and the way that I want it to work. Um, leading into to kind of that, that one thing, which is which is obviously the way that he wants to play football and, and preparing the players for it. I want to go into detail on that in a second, but just before we do, that career path, when you were back finishing your studies, coming out into that mm. first role before before the crash. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> crash. Um, yeah. At that point, how far would you say off your, what you thought your career was going to look like in terms of countries you were going to work in, not necessarily teams, because obviously we don't really have any idea at that time, but did you have yeah. intentions of going abroad and spending time abroad or was that just no. taking opportunities as they came? It was just taking opportunities that came and and it was just, you know, being in the right place in the right moment and, and getting the opportunity to do it. Um, but, I mean, while I, was, while I was coming towards the end of my studies, I had absolutely no intention of working abroad. And then even, even when I got the first call to go to Malmo, I really thought I'll go there for six months, 12 months, and then I'll come back to the UK and I'll, I'll get myself a better job in the UK and it'll maybe be a little bit of a springboard for me and I'll go and learn, make some mistakes and, and, and do it that way. But, but no, it ended up being probably the best thing I ever did. You go out there, met the, the woman who's now my wife, um, learned Swedish, can speak fluently that language now, understand Danish fluently. So you kind of, you, and being abroad, you just develop. You, I think you develop so so many things that you wouldn't do if you just stay within the comforts of of being at home. You know the whole life. Yeah. On that relationship then with the manager, obviously there's been three three clubs now you've been together. Well, you could say four, couldn't you, with the with the Danish national yeah. team as well. Um, in terms of developing that relationship, obviously it's got to come from both sides, hasn't it? But that understanding, could you go into a bit of detail on that and how that's developed over the different roles? Yeah, I think that. It, it comes it, it really comes from two ways because I think that I think that some people will find a head coach that that they end up kind of working with over a period of time where they just feel that that's the right way to go and maybe they don't necessarily believe in the way that that guy wants to work or the way that he wants to play or the way he wants to train but you end up just being kind of along that journey with him um, and I think that the the luck that I had from it was that like I said myself and young very much saw the way to train, um, the methodology behind it, the idea that we want to be very high or we want to be very low um, within our training sessions. Um, they really, really matched. And then, of course, it's then over time learning that, okay, I think that he needs to do these things a little bit differently from his side to me. And uh, I think, okay, I think you need to do these things a little bit differently in terms of the way that we train. And it's just slowly and slowly developing that philosophy and getting to the point where we are now where yeah we're, we're a number of years into it and of course every year still we're we're changing things and tweaking things and it's it's being moved along the whole time from both sides um but it's a from a personal point of view of course it's a massive uh decision you have to you have to make as well because when when you're i could have stayed living in malmo you know my wife's family is there i've got all my friends around but what the, what are the chances that you're really, really, really going to be successful in your career? It depends how you determine success in that point. So yeah. for me, the way that I determined success was getting to the highest possible level I could within football. And I believe that working with, with him, that that's the opportunity to do that. Whereas I felt that if I, was, if I stayed in that, in, in that situation I was in, that you know there was only a certain level that I could go to. But then you have to decide, okay, do I really want to pull my wife and my kids along on that journey with me? Um, we have like a three-year-old daughter who has health difficulties. And do we want to pull her along on that journey with me? Does my wife want to actually come on that journey with me? Um, and then you have to have such a great support system around you to to allow you to, to really do something like this because it's difficult. And you know, like now, if he gets, if he gets, if we do really badly and he gets sacked, more than likely I'm going to go with him and then, you know, we're going to be in, what's the financial situation we're going to be in? Whereas if he does really, really well, maybe he goes on to something better. Maybe he goes on without me. Maybe he goes with me. And then again, you've got decisions you need to make to work out, okay, what's going to be the best thing for the family? So it's 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 about just taking taking sort of the calculated risks, I think, which is which is needed within all those decisions um, uh, to get to the point where you are now. And then, and then each moment, you're kind of a little bit thinking the whole time what's going to happen next, but but just keep pushing along on that path, really. 
I think it's a really important point to bring up because I think a lot of people, especially coaches, they'll focus on the fact that you can, especially managers that are up there linked with a lot of jobs, they're always going to see that there's going to be the next opportunity when they leave, mm. get, something's going to come up. What we don't talk about is exactly what you've spoken about there is the personal side of the coach that then follows that that manager. Absolutely. And like you've mentioned, it's not just a move down the road, is it? It's you, you're talking different countries, you're talking a lot of strain on the, on the family, I'm guessing. Exactly. And, you know, like, uh, for instance, with him, he's had an unbelievable playing career, won the Champions League, did all these things. He's obviously in a situation financially where if he moves, he can put, okay, we put the kids into this private school, we do, we do things this way to make the situation work. Um, yeah. Or, okay, the family's going to stay behind, it's okay, we can, we can manage that financially. Whereas, obviously, as a support staff, especially in a championship level, you're not really in that situation. So then you're having to take different types of risks and, and saying, is it, is it worth it or is it not worth it? And that's the decision that obviously we, we came to was that it was worth it. And, and you just hope that it's the right one at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. I know you mentioned about um, being across different roles with him mm. and also the understanding of from one side to the other developing over time. What would you say is the biggest sort of progression or change that you felt from when you first started working with him until yeah. now? So, I mean, uh, we used to find that when we were doing training sessions with the national team, over the course of two or three days, we might do four or five games worth of acceleration, deceleration, and we'd get maybe a game and a half worth of distance. So everything that he wanted to do was small areas, quick play, um, and lots and lots of intensity within that. Whereas what we've tried to work on over a number of years is just by opening it up and making it bigger and bigger and bigger to actually get to the point now where on our conditioning days, we're not doing any small area work at all. Um, and that, that was really driven by, by me and my ideas behind actually how to condition players and what are we preparing players for. So, I mean, if we, if we talk about just the game as a, as, a, as a basic, what we're conditioning the players for is to play football, which is obviously on the size of a full-size pitch, 11v11. And the question that I've been asking myself for years and years and years is why are we training players in these small areas where we could just put them on a big pitch, put certain rules or put certain things into the game to just push the intensity of what we're doing. And then naturally we're going to get an increase in axles and decels per minute. The speed of the axle and decel is going to be similar to what it is on a 11v11 pitch. Because of course, as soon as we go into small areas, you're decelerating from short distances, you're accelerating shorter distances, so your speed of them all goes down. So again, it becomes a little bit less specific. Your, your intensity of your high-speed running goes up, your intensity of your sprint distance goes up, your intensity of your distance per minute goes up. And then also what we can do is that we can suddenly get the volume into those conditioning sessions that we need to, that we need to get. Because I'm sure that all the people out there listening to this would have done, say, day after game Sunday sessions with the, with the group that haven't played. And what you're trying to do at the end of the session is top players up with other things because everything you've done is in small areas because you've got 5v5 or 6v6, you've got 10 or 12 players that you're trying to work with. Whereas the way that we want to work is that we, we essentially take control of the under-21 squad or the under-18 squad, that they're following our schedule completely. And that every time we have a session where the day after a game we need to do 11v11, then we'll play against the under-21s and we have that group to do that. Um, the other thing that all of us will see is that the the issue that players that players have generally with in terms of fitness with uh, during the season is that if you're out of the squad for a long time, then quite clearly the player isn't match fit, and and we see that players will get to 60, 70 minutes and they're not able to 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 continue or play at the intensity they need to play at. And I think the reason for that is because they lose all their tolerance for the amount of for the amount of uh, distance and actually the volume of work that you need to do. Because the intensity of it, they're fine with, and they can cope with that because you do lots of things in small areas, which are very intense to keep them ready. But actually the tolerance for the distance and the tolerance for not only doing 800 metres of high-speed running or 900 metres of high-speed running at the end of a session, but combining that with doing 12K of work or 10K of work, that's the tolerance that they lose completely. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, the way that, that's the way that we that we see it now, is that we take away all that small areas and stuff. And I mean, if we take the, the pre-season this year, on our conditioning days, we would do all of our work in big areas for, for our, what we call conditioning drill. Of course, we'd still play possession games in small areas and things like that. But the bulk of our work that we'd call conditioning work was done over these big areas. 
No, that's really interesting. The other thing I just wanted to tap into with that, you know, when you said about taking control of the, the younger age groups programs, mm. yeah. has that come from, from your side or the manager's side in terms of utilising that squad? Or has that come a bit from tradition over the years at a club like Blackburn where they've got a lot of players through? I don't know the yeah. numbers on that, but they seem to have got a lot of players through from academy to first team. So yeah. is it is it tying into that, that, the fact that they tend to get quite a lot of players and they need to be ready? I think it's uh, it's probably a combination of of a number of things. I think it's it's definitely from the fact that we don't have the biggest first team squad, so we need to we need to bring players through. It's it's of course in terms of a sustainability thing for the club, it's extremely important to be able to sell academy products. Um, so we need to keep bringing those players through in that way. It's also driven by the sport director, driven by the manager, and and really driven by the academy director. I guess you'd say those three as as why they want it. But if it, if the manager didn't want them up with, with him training, then I know that the, the previous manager, the under-21s would almost never train with the first team unless they were part of the first team sort of squad. Whereas yeah. we're using we're using the under-21s and the under-18s in a number of different ways. So if we if the if the manager wants to train against a low block, then we'll play 11 first team players against 11 under-18s. Whereas if we're doing it really more from a conditioning point of view, then we'll just mix the groups up and we'll have half 21s with half first team against half 21s and half first team and we'll do things that way. Um, yeah. So it's it's a combination of different things and, and different reasons for why, why we do it different ways. But I mean, we even got to the point where we took control of the under 21s match programme. For the away games, we couldn't do it. But for the home games to say, all right, what day do we want them to play? And how does that match our schedule so that we have the best training possibilities for our group that, that, that isn't playing actually. Mm. Um, I mean, if we take the, the, the group that we've got now, the, as we are in the start of December, I think the player with the second highest total distance in our group is a player that's played two games in the season, just because we're, we're topping them up efficiently and, and we're, we're doing everything in such big areas on our, uh, on our day after game work. You, you mentioned before as well about the, when you're training high, you're training a lot higher mm. than probably what a lot of other people would, and then when you train lower, you train lower. Yeah. When did that change? Like, was that something that's come in recently? No, I think that that's that's an idea that myself and the manager have have both had for a long time, which is that there's too much medium in football training. You know, there's there's too much. Uh, it's a little bit hard, or if we want to do a recovery session, yeah, but we're still going to do a little bit. We have to, and and people think that we have to do some work. You know, um, whereas whereas we really have this philosophy of we're either going to be really high or we're going to be really low. And I mean, we get to the point where we'll even have third day recoveries a lot of the time for the players that are playing, um, depending on depending on our match schedule, for example. So if we're playing on a on a Wednesday and we played on a Saturday, we may still have the players completely inside on a Tuesday, not even going out doing shape work, depending on where we are in the season and how many double weeks in a row that we've played. Some players need it, some players don't, you know, depending on, on what they've done in the games. But we um we definitely don't, want too much of this medium type of work we don't think it really all it does is it just generates a little bit of fatigue into them and it doesn't give us anything from a physical perspective it doesn't gain any fitness to your conditioning you know so so we really have the idea of what's the point in it um because it's, it's not giving us anything and i think that also goes back to a little bit on on how to how we schedule the week as well because again if we're going to work like this with always the day after a game that we that we have to have the players in because the group that's not playing becomes so important for us to keep them ready. Um, then, of course, that affects then what do we how do we plan the week? Because if let's say that's a Sunday, on a Tuesday we've got a group that's played probably anywhere between sixty and ninety minutes against the under twenty ones on the Sunday, and they're on match day plus two on the Tuesday. So suddenly that can't be our big work day with with anyone because it's the first day back in for the group that have played. So then Wednesday suddenly becomes our bigger day, but we're also match day minus three, so we can't do too much. So it's fine yeah. the whole time. It's just trying to find exactly what is the level and exactly how we're going to work, how much volume, how much intensity do you want within that day, and just measuring it the whole time in terms of just trying to perfectly dose it and then perfectly dose it for each player as well. Because of course we've got players in so many different in different places. We don't ever really want someone going more than ten days without without doing around eighty percent of a game as a minimum. Um, so, so we'll really, really focus on that. We'll throw our players into under twenty ones games if we need to during the week if they've got a cup game, for instance. So, I mean, we'll we'll use under twenty ones games, and we'll sometimes there'll be a full first team out there. Um, 
because as I say, it's a Lancashire Senior Cup and we're allowed to play senior players. But we use that as an opportunity to to top up players. And again, we'll bring in we'll bring in outside teams for for friendly games on on day after games and and during the week when we want to. Maybe half the group will play against uh, a conference team on a Wednesday, and then half the group will do some kind of other session on a Wednesday, depending on what they need. So we're we're the whole time trying to just sort of like adjust it and, and modify it based on what they need. If you said within your role, like you could pick a number one focus. I know there's a lot of things that you're going to be looking at across yeah. the season. At this point in time, obviously we're recording this in what, December. So it's a yeah. it's getting into a real hectic time in terms of scheduling. Is that where you'd say your focus lies as priority at the moment in terms of managing the squad and maintaining fitness for players? Yeah, absolutely. Because especially again, as Blackburn Rovers, we don't have 23, 24 players that anyone you can just interchange and throw them into the group. So, yeah. I mean, on, on our bench that we had on the weekend now, I think we had four or five players that have never made a first-team appearance. So, we, when we've got such a small group, you have to keep every single person available and ready to be able to come in and play, not just 90 minutes, but 90 minutes on a Saturday and then a Tuesday and then a Saturday again. And the, I see the only way that we do that, that we can do that, is by sort of maintaining their tolerance to, to the amount of volume of work that they have to do. Um and I don't see how teams can do that just by running players after the game, you know, or just by doing a small side of game session the day after a game, because I just don't see how the players can maintain that tolerance to the work. That's really interesting. Where does testing fit in with all this in terms of your thoughts around testing and then also what that even means when we've, when we've got the, the scores, whatever we're testing? I think that uh, testing is is a is about only testing what you're going to use to begin with. I think that a lot of teams, and, and I mean, I had conversations with, with our with our physios, with our fitness coaches before the season about, okay, what are we going to do in pre-season testing? What are we going to test in season? How are we going to do all these different things? And every single every single time a test was brought up, I said, all right, when are we going to use that information? How is yeah. it going to inform our practice in any way? And if they couldn't answer that question, then we just, just throw it away straight away because it's a waste of time. Um, the other thing that we have to be careful with is that if we, I think that if if I if I sort of I, I'm going to move around a little bit here, but if I take the role of of a strength coach within a football club now, I think that it's actually a very very difficult role, not because the work is is particularly difficult because I think that as long as you have your your kind of your model and the way you want to work, it can be relatively it can be relatively simple. I think that it's so difficult to have your ego in check as a strength coach and not feel that I always have to be doing something with the players because sometimes mm -hmm. a little bit less is a little bit more. So instead of saying, all right, I'm going to do, let's say I'm going to do some, some uh, single, single, uh, single leg prone ISOs, how many uh, testing? Because I want to, uh, and then the next day the players will come in with a load of doms in their hammies because it's something they've never done before. Then suddenly, then, then you're giving us problems as a, or you're giving the coaching staff problems and you're giving us problems in terms of what we can do with training because you might say, yeah, but this is on a Tuesday. It's it's four days away from a game. It's three days after a game. It's the only opportunity that I had to do that testing. Yeah, but on a Wednesday, we've got to get the players to go out and play 45 minutes against a, a, a conference team. So I don't want the players' fatigue going into that moment. So I think it's I think it's very it's very difficult because you have to you have to condense it down so much to the point of okay, is it going to inform our practice during rehab? And if the answer is yes, then absolutely we have to get those numbers. Is it going to inform anything we do with them during the week? If the answer is no, then then we have to stop doing it. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about um, should we be doing uh, like daily jump testing? Should we be doing, doing daily groin squeezes? All these things that have been going back and forth for years and years and years now about what's right and what's wrong in doing it. But if how how long does it take us to get information? How What do we have to do to, to ensure that actually that information we're getting is correct? Because if mm -hmm. I want to do... If I want to do a max groin squeeze with a player, yeah, maybe that's going to take me half an hour to warm that player up and prepare him to do that. Do I have half an hour before the training, between breakfast, before the meeting, to do a full warm-up with a full group of players to get them ready to do one maximum groin squeeze? Probably not. Yeah. So if they're, just, if they're just jumping onto a fourth frame and they're laying on their back and giving a squeeze, and then we say, oh, yeah, but you're down 25%. Yeah, but I didn't really push because I'm not warm. Then why are we why are we doing that testing and why are we why are we looking for that information? It becomes a waste of time. 
We've got an incredible amount of content over our online community. I had some great feedback on some of the latest presentations and webinars that we've uploaded from our members. You go and Make sure you go over and check out some of the content that's on there. Some of the ones I would point out, we've posted free on our socials this week around presentations that will guide your gym programming. So there's a presentation on there by Pody Roche from Arsenal Women, developing and implementing power and strength training programs for the off-season to in-season phases in elite football. There's also a presentation from Professor Paul Comfort, incorporating weightlifting exercises to enhance sports performance. And our most watched webinar yet, that is by Yori Pagel of Ajax. He presented on plyometric training in football. All of those are available on our online community, plus many more. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the, uh, click the community page, sign yourself up there, and you will get a 30-day free trial. After that free trial, you'll become a paid member. You get invited into our WhatsApp group where there's always great performance questions going on in, in the group and plenty of coaches in there to answer and give their perspectives as well. So make sure you come and join us, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up today for a free 30-day trial. Here's part two of the podcast with the performance director at Blackburn Rovers, Ben Rosen. Yeah, definitely. I think that that conversation needs to be had, doesn't it? But I think the yeah. the environment at every club is going to be different from how that's received. Absolutely. And I mean, we we had a player go away with under twenty ones with with uh, I, I won't say who it was, but it wasn't it wasn't England. But we went away with an under twenty one team um, in October, and they were doing. Uh, daily uh, hamstring strength scores, I think it was. And I mean, they literally pulled him out of bed, got him into the physio room and just said, push. Yeah. And I think on a Wednesday, his score was down 25% and they, they stopped him from training and said he couldn't start in the game. Mm. And and then I spoke to him about it a little bit and he said, yeah, well, I just got out of bed. He said, of course, I wasn't pushing as hard as I could. He said, but I just mm. pushed a little bit harder the day before. And again, you 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 come at these things with, of course, the best intentions in place because you want information to inform your practice. But how how useful is that information all the time? I'm not sure. Yeah, and in, in terms of sort of reliability, you're talking players aren't stupid, are they? Like you said there, that they know when they're essentially going to be a, a little bit more risk than what they should be, aren't they? So if you're not getting an accurate measure, or exactly. you like you say, you've not got time to do the warm up and all the rest of it, then you're not actually getting out of it when you what you intend to anyway, are you? No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. So so that's really, that's the way that we go. No, I like it. I like it. I think that's a, that's a real key lesson for a lot of people. It'd be really interesting to hear people's thoughts on practically how that would work at their club, because yeah. I'm guessing that's, I, I don't know what it's like in terms of when you bring that up in terms of how receptive each practitioner is, whether there's discussions to be had and whether it's an environment that can be, um, you can have open discussions about things and obviously I don't expect you to be putting yeah. anyone out at this point, but it's just interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's a really, really good approach, but I can think of different environments where it'll probably be tough for people to get that across. For sure, for sure. And you know, especially as you have, you love clubs now and I know, I know a friend of mine who was head of performance at a, a big European club. I think they had 18 members of staff full time in the performance and medical department. And yeah. suddenly if, if you're telling people that, well, we don't want to do this because it's not going to inform practice, we don't want to do this because it's not going to inform practice, then suddenly you're taking probably eight of those people's jobs away. Yeah. Because really, what? how much work is there to do that, that you can have 18 people streamlined, working in one direction, doing things that are actually going to be useful for the group? I, I, I can't really see it. I think that, I think that it's, it's almost getting to the point now where these departments are going to get, going to get too big. And the question yeah. is, what do we actually get these people to do? And how all of these people have to feel important and they have to feel like they're doing something useful and valuable. And of course, you can provide huge detail when you have that many people to the players. But again, does it become too much detail? And suddenly, actually, what we're doing is we're, we're harming the players because we're not all following the same like hymn sheet, you know, and we're not all singing off it. Yeah, it becomes like a filling time activity, doesn't it? Rather than actually informing what we're going to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, interesting. Very interesting. Um, the other thing we're going to touch on is return to play. So yeah. actually getting players from, obviously, whatever injury it's going to be, not just ready to step out onto the pitch, but ready to perform. So yeah. what's been some of the lessons for yourself over the last few years in terms of getting players ready? I think that uh, I think that 
the main thing that we have to always do, and this is something I talk a lot to our physios about, and I've been talking to, to our performance staff about, is that what's the end point, you know? And are we just preparing the player to get back on the pitch and saying, well, actually, he's going to still take another three weeks to be prepared to come into the starting lineup? Or are we going to prepare the player to actually jump in and straight away be ready for the squad? And then, of course, that becomes conversations with the manager about, okay, how quickly do you need this player? What's our squad mm -hmm. situation right now? Um, when do you want to use him? Are you happy for him to be as part of the group, but you can only use him for 20 minutes at the beginning, and then slowly we're going to build him up? Um, are you happy to have someone on the bench that you can't bring on early in the game? Because that's, that's sort of losing a place on the bench for you. Um, and all these different things. So really, it's finding in general, that we want we want the endpoint of our rehab to be essentially 80, 85% per game within a session. And we want to see that the player is able to do that. And if I see that the player is able to do that, both from a volume and an intensity point of view, then then I know that I'm confident enough to tell the manager I'm ready. I, I feel very happy for this guy to start a game now because I've seen that he's able to do the things that we're going to need him to do on Saturday. Um, it, it also then goes on to a little bit of how do we then do the return to play process? Because I think a lot of the time, again, people are using this um, intensive extensive model when it comes to return to play. And I see that I definitely see the use of it. And I, I, I can absolutely hear all the arguments for working in that way. Um, but again, I think that there's an argument for actually following more, much more of like a mixed model, which is we're going to do very intense sessions followed by easier sessions, recovery sessions. And they're going to be over a mixed basis. So we're going to do them over big areas, over smaller areas. We're going to get enough distance in there. And I think when it comes to distance as well, something that we miss out a lot in return to play is a lot of the low intensity work. So we do, we actually, we're doing a lot of low intensity work in football games. We're doing what, four or five K of very low intensity work within that session that has to be mixed in with all the other work that we're doing. So I think that uh, are we, are we missing out on a lot of that in the return to play process by working in this extensive intensive type of model where we're doing short sharp work in accelerations decelerations on day one followed by high speed running on day two and then a recovery day instead of doing everything mixed into one adding in lots more low intensity work within that session to again just build up the tolerance to volume and the tolerance to the to the to the distance they need to be able to do while we're combining that with um, with the the intense work that goes within that, so I'm losing my train of thought here a little bit now. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's a, that's a little bit of my thought process with it. Um, and and again, it all comes back to that question from the manager of what do you actually need that player to do when he when he comes back to you, rather than a physio sticking him to a saying we're going to get him out of the physio room and we're going to pass him on to you guys, and then the rehab coach or whatever it is, get him to a point where they're happy for him to do every single thing um, without modification and then put him into the training group. I think that it has to be a big, big conversation about how to actually do that return to play process. I think also when we look at different players, you have to do the return to play in very different ways. So if we yeah. have a central defender that we know doesn't have huge physical outputs in a game, we don't, we don't have to prepare him in the same way that, let's say, a winger who's doing two and a half, three thousand HML a game needs to be prepared for so that player needs to be doing his return to play in a very very different way because he's got such a huge volume of certain types of work that he needs to be able to tolerate within three weeks four weeks five weeks when he begins this return to play process that we have to fill those work in with much lower intensity higher volume work early on within the process that was literally what just what i was about to ask in terms of that cherry on top you get into that point of whether it's a, a winger or a, a fast forward, like they've got really different um, demands on them, haven't they, to someone like a centre-half. So yeah, how but... specific will you go in terms of that end point, I suppose, where, because if we're talking about a forward, for example, you're essentially talking about a match winner, aren't you? Yeah. So for that manager to have that player available, there's probably a difference of having them available and having them available to play a lot of minutes and be effective in the game. Absolutely. So what's that difference for you, do you think? Is it, is it a timescale thing or is it just a case of making sure that they're ready? I think, it, I think it's a timescale thing. So if we, if we say that uh, I don't know, a 2B hamstring is going to take six to eight weeks, yeah, but actually for this player, it's probably going to take 12 weeks 
because yeah. he's going to be off feet for six weeks. And then we know that there's no way in three to four weeks we can regain that fitness or tolerance for the amount of volume of work that we know he's going to have to do playing as a centre forward. Let's say it's one of our centre forwards that, that we've got injured at the moment that we know averages four or 500 metre sprint distance a game. We can't prepare him for that in three weeks after just doing some, some off-feet conditioning sessions and some bike conditioning because he's, he's just going to explode again because yeah. he's not going to be able to do that type of work within that amount of time, especially not do it on a Saturday and then again do it on a Tuesday the way the championship works. It's just impossible. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that's a really important thing to factor in, isn't it? And I think what you've mentioned there about having that transparency with the manager in terms of what they're expecting is really important, isn't it? And I, 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 it does make me wonder how often those sorts of conversations actually, actually happen. Yeah, for sure. And and it's about having something that we're very, very lucky to have at Blackburn, which, which I think is actually more rare than people realise, which is uh, a performance department or a fitness sports science department and a medical department that work really 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 well together and yeah. they work really tightly together and that all of you can sit and have a conversation about how we're going to build up this program over a long period of time no one's going to get offended by anyone no one's going to become defensive about anything um and then you can all go to the manager and say right here's option one this is what you're going to get here's option two this is what you're going to get which one would you like us to follow now and then mm. the manager makes the decision at the end of the day, okay, actually this player, I'm so desperate to have him that I'm happy that he's going to play this game 20 minutes for me, prepare him for that. And then you've still got another three weeks to prepare him to be a starting player for me, but I just want him back on the pitch to try and score me a goal. Um, but then that's for the manager to make that decision and, and be, the, be the decision maker there. This is one of the key differences as well between sort of a, a return to play process in first team versus academy, isn't it? Because we're talking strictly results, we're talking essentially precious time, isn't it, within a season as well? Yeah, Managers, are, they've got big big demands on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got, I think we have 10 games in December. Yeah. So if you say to yeah. a manager, I can get him back in the middle of December or at the end of December, I mean, you're talking yeah. about four or five games, the difference of work, and four or five games, that's, yeah, 10, 12% of the season. Yeah. So it's a huge, it's a, it's a huge sort of, um, thing for us to be able to make those types of decisions and and have the backing of the manager in it and not feeling the stress within ourselves that oh, we've told the manager that this type of injury takes eight weeks i don't know if we're going to get him ready in eight weeks you know mm. and having that fear within ourselves it's just being completely transparent and open and again not providing um information which is which is going to be wrong and where we feel that we just have to tell him something that that makes him feel a little bit happier in that moment as i'm sure a lot of people get in situations where they do um, but it's just being completely open and transparent within that process with, with everyone involved, with the player, the medical, the performance, the manager, the sport director. Um, and then we can make the right decisions. And I mean, even even when we talk about sport directors there, I think that having having a relationship between someone like myself and a sport director is so important because sport director is going out and he's looking to buy players in January. Yeah. And if we can have honest conversations together and say, look, but he says to me, when's this player going to be back fit? What's he going to be ready for? If we give him unrealistic expectations, maybe he'll make a decision not to sign a player yeah, or to sign a player. So again, the transparency needs to be completely, completely correct and it needs to be completely whole within everyone that's involved. Definitely. I wanted to ask you, Ben, because I feel like you can give a really good experience on this. If There's probably coaches listening or there will be coaches listening and thinking, I'd love to have the confidence to go and have these discussions and I can't feel, I don't feel like I can take this to a head coach or take it to a director or whatever it is. Yeah. If people are really struggling with that, coaches are really struggling with having those conversations. I know some of it is going to come with repetition and with time and experience. Yeah, yeah. What would be some advice from you to them, like especially, especially for younger practitioners? Yeah, I think that first of all, you have to, I mean, if, if let's say me as a 23-year-old, I shouldn't have been going up to, Pochettino and saying you should be doing this, 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 and this, you know. But what you need to be able to do is you need to say, right, who's the who's the middleman between me and that person? Yeah. And how can I build a relationship with that person? Maybe that person can start feeding my ideas in a little bit. And then suddenly you get a little bit closer to it. Maybe you're sitting at lunch next to the manager and you're having a discussion and you ask the manager, what's your what's your training philosophy? What's your ideas about this? what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And try and make it much more informal than formal. 
because obviously the last thing a manager wants is that, especially a manager who's a very closed person that doesn't want people's opinions, it's very it's very difficult for you to go in and tell him this is what you should be doing. And it's the yeah. old thing that everyone always talks about with people like that of try and make it feel, seem like it's their own idea. And yeah. I think that's 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 a little bit of, that's a little bit of what you have to do. And it's a little bit of ego stroking, and it's yeah. it's a little bit of how can I how can I put something across? And then slowly and slowly and slowly, you find ways to to start influencing a little bit more positively um, than what you're doing now. Uh, and then and then working in that way. But it's all, at the same time, you don't you definitely don't want to be the person around the training ground that's saying this guy's wrong. My guy, my idea is the right way to work. So it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a it's a very fine balance of of everyone really, really, really believe in the same thing and work in the same way. And it's also difficult because at the end of the day, the head coach is a person that, that, that has to have the final say, that has to have the training philosophy, that has to have the idea behind the training week, behind the way that we're going to set up the under 21 squad, all these different things. It has to really come from, from a head coach. And that's why it's probably the reason why I feel so confident working with this head coach and, and putting a lot of trust and, and a lot of risk within within working with him because I really, really do believe in the way that he works. And I think that, that it's, it's the correct way to work. So I'm never in these situations where I feel that if I don't agree with something that I can't go and speak to him about it or, or that he's going to make these terrible, terrible decisions because in general, we, we actually agree with each other on a lot of things. So it's, it's difficult because I mean, I worked, I worked with a, with a head coach previously where I probably spoke out way too much. Um, mm we ended up clashing and clashing and clashing and clashing for months and months and months. Um, and it got to the end of the season. And I realized that actually everyone else in the building really had a problem with him, but they hadn't been clashing with him. Whereas me and him, suddenly we had this almost newfound respect for each other because yeah. we'd had, we'd had so many of these, these sort of, um, I don't call it arguments, but differences in opinion. But we always spoke about them and then we always went out to training and then we just did what was agreed to be done. It never mm-hmm. went further than that. Whereas I think a lot of people, you stay, you stay quiet and you don't want to have these uh, disputes and these confrontations. And then it, it becomes very, very difficult for you to, to sort of maintain that relationship over a long period of time. Brilliant advice. No, I think that's really important. I think, like I say, like you've mentioned there, the, the experience is key, isn't it? And having that experience there of being being outspoken at a time and having those disagreements probably built, it probably built you all sorts of skills for now Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Um, so people probably have to have a bit of that as well along the way, don't they, to actually learn and, and go forward. But I think your advice in terms of using the middleman um, and, and finding the right time to engage, I think is really important. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Ben, that was brilliant. Thank you very right. much. I'm glad I spent all those times chasing you around, <laughs> trying to get you on, because I knew it was going to be worth it. No, I really appreciate Good. you doing it, mate. I think there's some real key takeaways for people on there. Um, no we tried targeting a few different areas we've not spoke about so much before, so I, I thought that was great, and then people will take a lot from it. Um, okay. in, in terms of people, if they've got questions or they just want to keep up with what you've got going on, where would you direct them? Uh, email me, brosen at rovers.co.uk. Um, or I mean, you can you can find me on social media on Twitter mainly. I don't use it too much, but I try and respond if someone will send me a question. But but yeah, just send me an email and I'll, I'll get back to people. I don't I'm not too active on social media at the moment. So yeah. perfect, mate. No, thank right. you very much. Appreciate your time, Ben. Great, I really appreciate it. All right. I think there was an incredible amount of takeaways in this episode from Ben. So I really appreciate him coming on. And I appreciate his honesty as well because I think everything he spoke about around challenging the norm, especially around testing, I think was absolutely brilliant advice. And I hope people took plenty away from that. Um, that was certainly a piece, a, a takeaway that I took away from it. I think the others were the opportunities abroad and how that develops you as a coach. We speak to a lot of coaches that spend time abroad recently um that we've had coaches on the podcast that have spent time abroad and they, they speak of all the skills it developed not not only just the language and being in a different culture but everything in terms of being a coach over there as well i think ben spoke about controlling the under 21 squad so their scheduling and what the players were doing because that feeds into the first team so i thought that was really interesting and also the fact that was he thought there was too much sort of medium work going on medium intensity work going on in training so They've either gone, made sure sessions are high or low 
and nothing really in between. So I thought that was another really interesting takeaway. Um, and then only testing what you're going to use. I think it's a really obvious statement, but it does make me wonder how many people actually test, collect data and do nothing with it. And we've got actually got some podcasts coming up on this very topic that will hopefully help you decide what to test, um, when to test and what actually to do with that data as well. But I thought that was a great point from Ben. And then the other thing I think was around time to speak to the head coach, creating a relationship with the head coach. And he mentioned about when you sat down, when you were away from the pitch, um, things are probably less emotional. There's probably less going on. Utilizing those times is really important. So I thought that was a real key takeaway from Ben as well. Uh, I've got to apologize to him because I've been absolutely hounding with messages to try and get him on the podcast. But I, this is why, because I, I knew it was going to be brilliant. Um, and I hope you took plenty from it as I did. I really enjoyed the chat with Ben. Go and give him a follow. He's on Twitter or XB underscore Rose underscore three. Um, so go and give him a follow on there and you can keep up with what he's got going on and, and at the club as well. If you've not already done so, make sure to leave us a review. We've had a few more Spotify reviews coming in recently, and that is literally a click of the five stars. So I really would appreciate it if anyone that does listen on Spotify right now, just click the five stars for us. It does help us massively. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a short written review and and click the five stars. That really does help the podcast. And also anyone over um, that has watched any of the YouTube episodes as well, leave us a comment on there. We are going to try and do a little bit more work on YouTube, especially into next year. So leave us a comment, interact with us over on the on the YouTube. I really appreciate everyone that's done that so far. And just finally from me, if you haven't given our sponsors a follow yet, go and check out Hytro, Rezzel and The Good Prep doing some amazing work, really helping us out with the podcast. So I really appreciate all those guys. Go and give them a follow over on socials and show them some love. And if I don't speak to you before Christmas, if you don't listen to another episode, I hope everyone has a great Christmas. We've got loads to come in the new year and I hope everyone has a good one and I'll speak to you then. Speak to you again in episode 270.